You're listening to Impulse to Innovation. The Institution of Mechanical Engineers podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Helen Mees. As a global community of mechanical engineers with over 120,000 members in 140 countries, the Institution of Mechanical Engineers has been at the heart of the engineering profession since 1847. The Institution's mission is to improve the world through engineering by sharing the latest news, views and insight into the creative world of technology and the people that make it happen. In this month's episode, we're investigating the growth of 3D construction printing and what benefits it may offer to a world with growing populations and ever-reducing resources. Despite the collapse of construction activity during 2020 as a result of COVID, the industry is already on a path to rebuild its lost revenue in 2021. It's estimated that the value of global construction output will increase from its $11.6 trillion level in 2020 to around $14.8 trillion by 2030. And around 43 million new homes will be required each year globally between now and 2030, with 11 million of these being in India, 7 million in China, 2 million in Nigeria and 1.5 million in the US. China will, for the foreseeable future, remain the largest construction market globally. However, many developing countries are driving progress in construction as a result of investment in infrastructure and housing projects to sustain economic growth. Construction output in the UK is more than £110 billion per annum and accounts for around 7% of the UK's economic output. Approximately a quarter of construction output is in the public sector and three quarters in the private sector, with the industry directly providing jobs for approximately 3 million people. That's about 10% of total UK employment. Interestingly, in high-income nations, there's been an increase in demand for infrastructure development using technologically advanced machines and equipment, with the objective of reducing completion times and material handling costs, as well as carbon footprint. This has led to innovations in construction processes, which only a few years ago were considered outside the mainstream. One such technique is that of 3D construction printing, or 3D CP. 3DCP covers a wide range of technologies that use 3D printing as a core method to fabricate buildings or construct components, often using industrial robots, gantry systems and tethered autonomous vehicles. There are a variety of 3D printing methods used, which include extrusion, applying concrete and cement, wax, foam or even polymers, powder bonding, using polymer bond, reactive bond or sintering techniques, and additive welding. Despite what you might think, the concept of 3D construction actually began to gain momentum in the 1980s, but it wasn't until the mid-90s that construction at scale, using techniques we now recognise as 3D printing, began to emerge as commercially viable processes. Over the ensuing decades, Academia and industry have worked together to refine the techniques and learn more about the material properties and the stability of printed structures, and engineers have pushed the boundaries of what was once considered impractical or even impossible. 
in 2016, the first 3D printed footbridge was constructed in Spain, demonstrating not only the possibilities the technology offered, but also that exact deposition of material only where it was needed could significantly reduce the amount of raw materials required. 2017 saw the first 3D printed permanent building constructed, which received all the appropriate building permits. And in 2018, the 3D process was used to create a fountain in Russia. And just a month ago, the IMACI reported the completion of an 18-month project in Italy to 3D print housing structures made entirely from soil adjacent to the building site. The construction of the dome-shaped houses took just over 200 hours. And while there is some way to go before this concept is commercially viable, the team carrying out the work hope that it has demonstrated what can be achieved using natural materials – especially in inaccessible locations or poor areas of the world, with little effect on the local environment. So, as our global leaders head home after COP26, having discussed issues including infrastructure, the built environment and our energy use, how will disruptive innovations, such as 3DCP, become mainstream? And will such potentially sustainable processes be incorporated into their climate change strategies? if at all. I sat down with chartered civil engineer Colin Evison to find out more about 3D construction printing, how it all works and what innovative applications it might be used for in the future, including the possibility of building homes on Mars. Colin is a fellow of the Institution of Civil Engineers, just across the road from Birdcage Walk and he's also a Fellow of the Institution of Engineering and Technology. In his role as Head of Innovation at BAM Nuttall, he has been engaged with 3D concrete printing over the last few years. His interest in 3D printing began when he had small-scale architectural models produced to help him explain the intent of projects such as the Victoria Station and Tottenham Court Road Station upgrades on the Tube, Colin is very passionate about this emerging form of construction and as he said in our interview, its potential as a building technique is probably only limited by our imagination and the efforts of engineers to solve the challenges that remain. I began by asking Colin to elaborate on the history of 3DCP. Colin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Now, let's start with a little bit of back history, I suppose, because despite the media curiosity around 3D printing of buildings, this is not that something that's new, is it? It's not just suddenly kind of come about. The building and construction industry have been exploring this idea of, of 3D printing buildings for a long time, haven't they? Yeah, well, I think we've taken some cues from um, where we've seen some printing of architectural models. I mean, we've been doing those for, yeah, 10 years plus where we've um, tried to pre present, you know, a part of a building or part of a structure in a scaled down form using a 3D printer. Um, and I guess in parallel with that, people have been thinking, well, why not print life size? Why not print one to one scale? So, uh, yeah, there's been several people around the world, um, lots of effort in different universities. Um, just trying to work it out, how to make it happen. 
You mentioned there about universities. This has really been quite an academic and industrial working together to kind of solve these sorts of problems, hasn't it? There's There's been a lot of involvement from academia as well. Yeah, so the work that we've been doing has been focused on Delft University in the Netherlands. So um, I guess they've got a lot of history of working with concrete and they've got laboratories to to test concrete elements. Um, and I guess they've got the sort of the knowledge and capability to, I guess, maybe go away and try and solve some of the problems that uh, the construction industry throws at them. So um, I guess, yeah, people have thought about, well, you can print um, documents. That's easy. Um, we can print models. That's a little bit harder. But I mean, that's now you can buy one for a few hundred pounds and have it on your desktop. So so why not? Can you squirt out concrete and, and create something that's that's usable and, and livable um, using that technique? Well, yeah, you, you talk about that sort of, you make it sound like it's it's quite easy sort of thing, but we have a 3D printer here at home and um, I, I understand the process that goes into to creating those plastic models. But can you tell us a little bit about the equipment that's used for fabricating buildings and, and structures? So the um, the robot arm itself is a sort of fairly standard industrial robot. So, you know, you see them on videos of car factories and so on. They're, I mean, they're fairly, I won't say they're dangerous, but you, you wouldn't want to get in the way of it. It's a fairly heavy, heavy piece of kit. Um, but I guess the clever stuff is the is the material that it uses. Um, so, so, I mean, printers on a desktop, it can either heat um, a type of plastic or it mixes it with resin or so on. But um I guess it's it looks like toothpaste, to be honest, grey toothpaste that's squirted right. out. Um, but there's some really clever science and chemistry that goes into it to 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 give it the right properties. Um, so you, you can imagine your printer with ink, it's easy, it comes out wet and it dries in the atmosphere. Um, but of course, when you're trying to print something in three dimensions, it has to support its own weight, and I think that's where that's where the clever chemistry comes in. Yeah, because uh, I just assumed that 3D printing of buildings was was just extruding concrete, but it's far from it, isn't it? It's there's there's several different kinds of materials that you can use in this process. So, can you give our listeners an idea of of kind of the sorts of materials that go into this process, or that could potentially be used? So, when you think about concrete in its conventional sense, what what we essentially do is to pour it into a box, um, whether it's a wooden box or a metal box, and then we have to wait maybe a day, two days, until the sort of the chemical reaction takes place. It goes hard, and then you can remove those supports. But the problem with three D printing is that you need it to go off fairly instantaneously. Um, so the properties is a little bit like non drip paint. As in, right. it's it's fairly stable until you stir it and agitate it, and then when you leave it alone, it sets. So it's got those kind of thixotropic properties, um, as well as the sort of the conventional chemical reaction that the cement has with water um, that causes it to harden. So you need it to stop moving um, as soon as it comes out the nozzle, essentially, so it can can hold its own weight and then take the next layer as it passes over. So it's it's kind of a bit like making a a jelly in some respects, isn't it? I suppose yeah. you have that kind of, um, or a blancmange, it's kind of that sort of texture. Yeah, it's almost like a huge icing bag and you sort of, yeah. you squeeze this paste out and it is a paste as opposed to concrete in its conventional form. So concrete normally has uh, gravel in it, say 20 millimetre gravel going down to sand. Um, whereas this has to be more of a paste. So I think the particles are maybe sort of five, six millimetres maximum. So right. it can be pumped and extruded out of the nozzle. So it's, I guess it looks like grey toothpaste in its consistency um, as it comes out of the nozzle. And we've, we've tried, we've tried um, 
mixing it with some uh, reinforcing. So um, the, the early robots had a, a spool of stainless steel wire that was extruded at the same time and, and laid down within the material. But that was quite difficult. You, yeah. you couldn't turn a sharp corner in the same way as if it was just the paste and coming out of the icing bag, shall we say. Yes, if you, I guess if you're wanting to get some quite difficult sort of shapes or corners or even curves, but being able to then put reinforcing it must be quite tricky. So have, have you been able to find alternatives to that? Yeah, so the more recent mixes have, have just been the paste itself, the mortar itself, so it hasn't needed to, to put that wire in. Um, and then you're sort of freed up from some of the constraints that that wire had. You can do sharper corners, you can come back on itself um, much more um, easily. And, and there's a lot of work that's been done into the speed that this works because you want it to be a fairly quick process, but also it, it can't be too quick, otherwise it gets too heavy and it just collapses. And yeah. and some, some really good videos of just like pushing the boundaries of seeing how high the wall can go before it just collapses under its own weight. There's there's a lot of trial and error, shall we say. There's a lot of, of piles of this stuff that has to get shoveled up out of the way, I think, before it's uh, before the process is cracked. Well, I, I suppose it, it, it is a, a, a very new process and you've got to experiment, haven't you, to, to be able to see what the boundaries are. And, and I guess the building industry has, has always done that, you know, we, from, from single storey buildings right through to the huge skyscrapers we have today. It, it's all about pushing the boundaries and see how far the materials will go, isn't it, really? That's right. So, you know, you look at the sort of the London skyline over history and, you know, you, sort of in the 18th century, there's a certain maximum height that you could build to. Because you're, you know, you're building out of bricks and mortar. But as those materials have advanced, people are getting more confident and and the sky is literally the limit. So so I guess, yeah, it, it starts small with um, some small structures. But, um, yeah, as, as, as more effort is put into refining the process, then um, people's imagination really is, a, is only the limit of what can be built. Yeah, I suppose it's a, it's a great opportunity to to try new things. It's a bit kind of Lego build in some respects, isn't it? It's that opportunity to put things in different places and see what happens. I, I was reading recently that, because you've talked there quite a lot about concrete, I was reading recently that there'd been some work done to look at using clay as the medium for, for laying down these um these buildings uh, and potentially that the uses in in developing countries and particularly I think this has been trialed in Africa um, do you think that there's an opportunity to look at other kinds of materials um, like that to be able to use them uh, perhaps in in other parts of the world yes I mean certainly concrete is is definitely got a bad reputation these days just because the sheer amount of energy that that is consumed into making it so so the idea really is that it's not a long-term sustainable solution that it is however the structures are more efficient in that you only put material where it's needed I mean when you think about conventional structures you just have a rectangular box and you fill it full of concrete so so it's not necessarily all the material is needed it just yeah. fills that void um, so you can target the materials. That's one advantage of the process. But also, yes, um, you know, can you use other materials that act in a similar way? Uh, maybe you can reduce some of the cement and look for some alternatives that, you know, that, that react and they can harden maybe with heat, um, maybe with sunlight um, yeah. to make it more accessible to different um, countries that, um, you know, it's, it's, it might have access to the, to the materials uh, or, or the cost of the materials is, is prohibitive because there's not much of it that's produced at the moment. Yeah, well, that leads me nicely on, actually, to, to a question of, about sustainability, really. And 
those that are working in this particular area are very keen to look at the the advantages that 3D printing buildings might have. There's been talk of the the process being twice as fast as conventional construction and ten t- with 10 times less waste. Do, do you think that these are realistic claims and could 3D printing be one solution that we might have towards our sustainability or our climate crisis issues that we're facing? Yeah, so so the, the, the question that usually comes up is, is what does it cost? And I guess what they're they're asking for is the, is the monetary value is is you know how much does it cost to print one of those as opposed to build one of those out of conventional means? But yeah, um, it could be the human cost. So actually, maybe if it's something that's produced by a machine, there's less chance of either splashing concrete in your eye or dropping a brick on your foot. So there's the human element. Um, there's the carbon element. Um, so if you're using material more wisely. Um, and also, if there's you're looking at maybe you know we talk about the skills sources in engineering and the construction yeah. industry. Um, if you can automate a process, then maybe these things are more accessible to people that, where the skills aren't available. So, so yes, it, it can be looked at in lots of different ways in terms of sustainability, um, and certainly the need to reduce the carbon impact to the construction industry is a huge driver into how this process develops. Yeah, I think uh, certainly for, for, again, for developing countries or low-income countries, I think that's going to be a real benefit, isn't it, to to be able to uh, reduce the amount of materials that they use and reduce that cost so that it gives the opportunity to more people get greater access to these kind of, uh, of buildings uh, in the future. And one of the things that has been explored is instead of having a permanent factory, so the factory that we were involved in uh, was in Eindhoven in the Netherlands. So it's not necessarily convenient if you want to produce something for the UK. It still has to be shipped um, across the North Sea. Um, but we have experimented with what we call the flying factory. So we've containerized it and it's it's been um to, to Las Vegas previously at, wow. uh, at the Autodesk conference um, where it was set up doing a bit of a demonstration. Um, we also set it up at Heathrow Airport. So in the in the logistics centre there at Colnbrook, we, we set up, um, if, if you like, a temporary factory that produces printed concrete elements. So, again, you, you're adding another layer of complexity because, you know, it's, it's quite sensitive in how, how it's set up and how it's levelled. But I guess it starts to produce the idea of, well, actually, you can take it to the construction site as opposed to, producing things in a factory which have to be transported so yes you can print the house or you can print the bridge actually where it's going to be needed yeah yeah and again reducing the 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 carbon footprint um of just one item being transported instead of several which um i guess for for a very large construction a very large building or a bridge um is tons and tons of material that are having to be transported to and from site yeah and a lot of it's um you you have to you have to um challenge convention so so people are used to putting concrete in a box and taking the box away and you're left with the structure so um even the finish is a bit of a challenge because people are normally say well the concrete has got a smooth texture because it's formed into you know something that's a smooth piece of formwork whereas this has got a textured surface so you have to rethink about what might be acceptable. Um, so that's, you know, you've yeah. got to challenge people's conceptions about what you can do with material. Um, you know, people like to live in a brick house, even though that laying bricks is a really sort of outdated form of construction. So maybe you need to to show people that 
well, maybe you'd like to live in a house that's produced using this technique. Maybe you want to have something that looks a little bit different. I, I think people are becoming much more aware, aren't they, now of of the need, going back to, to uh, my question on sustainability, that the need for different methods of, of construction and building. You know, I live in a an old um, 1950s building. You know, it's it's got a concrete base for a floor and it's got red bricks. And I, th- I think challenging people's perceptions of, of what a house or a, you know, or a building might look like, I think is a really exciting opportunity. I mean, certainly from an engineer's point of view, I don't know about the rest of society. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're uh, I guess we're, we're programmed to live in, you know, square boxes because it's easier to build something that's square or a cube or rectangular because the modules that we build it out, so say the bricks, are just you know a small rectangle so you know that that's that's what the end solution looks like but if you're printing something in three dimensions then if you want a curved corner to your house then you can have a curved corner to your house it might make um you know some of the furniture and you know having to cut a carpet to a radius a bit of a challenge but you know you can have a more organic shape should we say a more uh, maybe something that yeah. fits into the landscape um in terms of its shape yeah absolutely now I mean, we've talked there about some of the exciting opportunities that 3D printing of, of buildings will have. But what do you think are the downsides? What do you think the disadvantages come in 3D printing construction? Well, one of the one of the challenges is, um, I guess, gravity. Because when you look at some of the 3D printed models, um, some of them are printed in a liquid um, reservoir um, or they're printed in a bed of powder. And that, and that support material provides support to the model whilst it's being constructed but of course when you're printing a large item in the outdoors it's very difficult to have that temporary support mechanism there so so if you're looking to some kind of overhang you can over only overhang the last layer at a certain amount otherwise it just topples and collapses so i guess that's maybe a function of the physics of the material that's used today is there's no reason to think about you know you could print in free space as opposed to being a layer on top of the previous um, material that you've extruded. So maybe that's just a constraint that exists where the technology is today. It's still relatively young. It's only been, you know, a matter of years or a a decade or so. So it's still early days, really, in in people's amount of effort that's been applied to it to see where it could go. Yeah, I I remember going to a 3D printing show, um, you know, just the the sort of the desktop machine type things and and seeing somebody with a pen that could um, you could draw with the 3D printing material and, and it came out in a way that allowed you to build structures. You know, I'm guessing that the technology for buildings has got to come on a long, long way before they're going to be in a position to be able to to deal with that kind of behaviour from the material and understand the, the, as you rightly say, the physics of creating these these constructions. Yeah, and, and maybe we do reach the limit of what a cement-based material can do when we look at composites, maybe, or you know, maybe you can um, use some form of recycled plastic. So, you know, you can maybe harvest all the the plastic that's dumped, and maybe you can come up with a process where you can have that freeform three um, D printing, but in a larger scale, and actually you manage to eat up all the single-use plastic that um, we seem to be burying ourselves in. So, you know. That sounds like it can add up. I love that idea. I absolutely love that idea, Colin. I think um, I think the idea of pulling all of that 
that uh, plastic out of the ocean and creating something that we can live or work in or just enjoy by reusing it that way. I think that sounds like a fantastic idea. I think there's going to be a lot of engineers who would really like that challenge. <laughs> exactly. Just it, and it just needs someone to go, why can't we do this? And you, you'll just get someone who's got the dogged determination going, I'll tell you what, I'm going to make it work. It might not be easy. It might not be next week, but yeah, I'm going to put my mind to it and, and damn it, I'm going to show people that it's possible. Absolutely. Well, that kind of nicely leads on to my next question, because, again, I, I've been looking at, at some of the uh, the things that are coming out of NASA and and some of the potential uh, for deep space missions. And they've been considering using 3D printing as a means of construction, either on the moon for a moon base or on Mars for, for these long-term uh, deep space missions. I mean, do you think that that's a realistic thing? Are they going to pack, like you've been talking about your shipping container with your robot in, are they going to pack something like that into a spaceship and take it off to Mars? Or d- does that seem completely out of you know any realms of reality? And uh, I suppose a follow-up question to that was would be, you know, what do you see as the next terrestrial innovation that, that 3D printing, 3, 3D construction might uh, might have? Well, I guess the challenge, if you're going to ship a building to another planet, is that there's just so much of it. Um, so the idea is that the idea is that if you can use the rock and the material that's already there, then you just need to ship something that can process it. So I guess that I guess they're onto something, um, and I guess the kind of budgets that, that that NASA might throw to the problem, the chances are that they end up coming up with a solution. In terms of where it's going to go next, I think the more that we, I guess, get comfortable with seeing some of these printed objects, the more people will start to think of what might be possible. I mean, we've, we've printed all sorts of things. We've we've printed the the initials of our company, BAM, just to have as a you know as a sign when you enter into the office. We've printed picnic yeah. tables and seats. And I think last year we printed a, a 3D printed concrete Christmas tree. So again, it's just, it's a bit of a novelty throwaway item, but it just shows people that, oh, you can do a different shape. You can do a different object. And it just, I guess the more that you you put the people in front of the, the process, in front of the finished product, it just starts to spark the imagination of, well, why can't we use it to do one of these? Or can I use it to solve this problem? Yeah, I, I quite like the idea of of having my own 3D printer in the garden, you know, just to knock up things that that I might want. I mean, and, and I, I make a joke from that, but, but actually, you know, it wasn't that long ago where we would have never considered having a, a plastic 3D printer on a desktop in, in our house. It, it was the realms of industry and huge, big machines. Now they're commonplace and people can even build their own. So I'm guessing that that maybe at some point in the future, hiring a 3D printer to come and do some building work at your house or having one that you can make furniture for the garden or a, even your shed uh, would be something that w- might be commonplace, mightn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, like you say, it's it's, it's accelerated very quickly. Previously, you, you know, you'd have to pay tens of thousands of pounds for one of these, you know, office grade architectural 3D printers. And like you say now, it's, it's a school project um, where, you, where you can build it in a matter of hours and start churning out objects. So, so yeah, maybe... Um, a few years time, you can hire one from B&Q. You can pick a QR code of, do you want a chair or a table? And 
and you set it up as your weekend project. I'm, I'm going to print myself a picnic bench for the garden. Excellent. That sounds like a great idea. I'm looking forward to that. What, what's uh, what's the next big project you're working on? Because you, you've done a lot of construction in bridges, haven't you, Colin? Yeah, so we've built um, a few bridges, um, fairly small bridges, um, sort of single span bridges, say nine, 10 metres long. Um, and they've been printed out of sections of 3D concrete printed and then they're tied together with steel bars. So, you know, they're quite slender um, structures. They're a lot better than the first ones we did. The first ones were a bit heavy and chunky. So, you know, people are getting more used to, well, the design of the structure is a challenge because there's no design book that tells you how to do this stuff. You have to design it from first principles. And the first bridge that we printed, it was literally loaded with huge containers full of water to replicate what it would be to have loads of people standing on it. And it was tested and it was measured and it was said, yeah, it was fine because, you know, part of the challenge is there's there's no standard that says, how do you design a 3D printed house? Um, So, you know, you really have to go back to your engineering basics. What am I trying to achieve? What lows does it have to um, stand up against? And what does it need to look at? So it's, yeah, you're asking the engineer to go back to the basics rather than follow, well, here's one I did earlier. Um, you, you're, you're starting from scratch, which is part of the excitement of engineering, I guess. Yes, certainly pushing the boundaries. Uh, thank you so much, Colin, for taking the time to talk to me today. It, it's been fascinating. I'm, I'm quite excited to see how, how this whole process develops, particularly along the lines of sustainability, which is something that's very close to my heart. And uh, and I think there's some great opportunities there for, for wider society to really embrace this new technology. So thanks very much for talking to me today. Thanks very much Helen and uh, thanks for inviting me. That's all for this month. In next month's show we will be getting the lowdown from COP26 as the IMACE young members review the international conference, its highs and lows, what impact it will have on the international engineering community and whether it will truly be a line in the sand for our global climate crisis. Also, in a special episode during November, we will be talking with Ima Key CEO, Dr. Alice Bunn, and members of the Trustee Board and Real Estate Strategy Board to discuss securing the future of our HQ. Is our 122-year-old building fit for purpose? How do we create an inclusive and accessible venue for everyone? And why should our 120,000 members care about this iconic London landmark? You've been listening to Impulse to Innovation, the Institution of Mechanical Engineers podcast. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to share any news or any feedback with us, then please email us podcast at imakee.org. All the information on this episode can be found in the episode notes. 